Good morning, ladies, and welcome to this year Tafshin Pe Aleph's Megillus Rus. This year we're going to go according to the commentary of Rabbi Shlomo Brevda Zechar Sadik Bracha. Those of you who don't know from Rabbi Brevda should know from Rabbi Brevda. Pascha Levenstein, that holy Sadik that I always quote, that really the whole Mir Yeshiva of today uh, and many others, Panovish. Are all owe so much to uh, Rav Chaska Levenstein, who was the pillar of Amuna during World War II and beyond, and was tremendously, tremendous force to deal with as far as holiness. He told Rav Shlomo Brevda once they were walking somewhere, and he turned to him and he said, "You must give talks to people about your Shemayim. That I'm giving you. Uh, you have to. You have to give talks about your Shemayim." And I'm entrusting you with that. And don't give up no matter what, even if they oppose you, even if they, they make fun of you, you must continue speaking about Yerushimayim. So, uh, so this was Rebrevda's mission. He had quite a sense of humor as well. If ever, ever you ever heard him, like a dry sense of humor. Um, I compare him in a way to Victor Miller, very unafraid of what anybody else thought, but he had his message and he was a faithful servant and really, really uplifted a lot of people in Yerushimayim. So we're going to talk, I will barely say anything I've said last year, almost nothing, I would say, less than a minute's worth, if, if at all. So let's go, We have, hopefully you have your Megillus Rus, and we're going to take it off here. Now, the um, in the first passage, it says, Vayihi bimei shvait hashayftim, so Rashi says Vayihi is Lushan like a tsar, there was something wrong going on during the time of the shoftim. So we're talking a, a mere few hundred years after Kabbalah Satara. That's what we're talking about. Um, they say Boaz was either Ivtsan or, um, or maybe in the time of Devorah Hanavia, like one of the later Shoftim. Rav Ba'aretz. And there was a famine in the earth and in the land. And then, then we'll start talking about you know, the whole story of, uh, of Elimelech and the family of Elimelech. Now, there are several interpretations, says Rebrevda, concerning. Um, why does it say Shvot HaShoftim? It should just say Vahibimashoftim. It it's time of the Shoftim. It doesn't have to say, um, it, it doesn't have to say in the time of the judging of the judges. It should just say the time of the judges, you know, when it is historically. He says to teach us something very important about Tanakh, and maybe a lot of you are, are aware of this already, that uh, there's no historical account given in Tanakh. It's not, there is some historical context that's important, but that's not the point of this whole talk, of this whole Megillah, of, of any parak in Tanakh. We're not here to learn the historical context. There are lessons for us to be gleaned here that we have to glean. There's two, um, there's two, the, there's two important lessons that were taught about this being the time of the Shvot HaShoftim. And then it says later, Vayihi Rav, he says there's a connection between the two parts of the verse. Why was there a famine? Because something concerning the judging of the judges. And there were two opinions given. Rashi says, Doris is shofet is shoftev. One is that people judge the judges. People would say, I don't like the rabbi. He was too harsh in this case. He shouldn't have come, come on and made this comment. I think that was too much. I don't, I don't agree with him. You know, that um, Ramban tells us in Parsha's bow that we don't have a chalik in the Torah of Moshe until we believe that there is no coincidence whatsoever in life. There's no such thing as coincidence. Very relevant for today when there's so many people suffering um, and we have to know God is talking to us. There's something that we have to learn from what's going on in our life. It's not just, you know, coincidental. It's something that, that you know, we have to learn. The Rambam says that whenever there was any type of tragedy for the Jewish people, they had to blow trumpets. What was the purpose of the trumpets? The Rambam says to tell people this thing happened, we have to wake up. We have to be aroused and wake up. And definitely one thing for sure, I haven't heard the final line of the gedolim of, of last week's horrible occurrence. But when there is a tragedy, God is speaking to all of us. And not just, and especially not the people that gave up their lives for us. Those people are in, in Shemayim. And that's not the point that, that, you know, they lived their lives. They did what they had to do. Um, but the rest of us have to learn some type of lesson that there's definitely something still expected from us. Some people spoke about Achtus, some people spoke about different concepts. But the point is 
that there's supposed to be a lesson to be learned when something goes wrong. That's the Rambam, that's a basic tenet of Judaism. And in this Megillah, it applies as well. So the um, another interpretation of Shvot Hashoftim was that the judges were corrupt in their judgment. And Rav Brevda connects the two. He says, why were people judging the judges? Because often, and there's different opinions, but some opinions say, we're talking about the more minor judges versus the Gedolim, perhaps. But people had a reason for judging those judges. And the reason was that the judges were corrupt. You know, that the, the, instead of it, they would, they would incur judgment on somebody, give a, a sock and a basin. And then the people would say, you know, look at your own life. You're not, you're not doing any better yourself. So if from both sides, it was a lack of emuna. You know, people were not being faithful. People were not being honest. People were not going according to Das Torah. And this is near a few hundred years after Kabbalah's Torah, which is like, to me, earth shattering. It's like, how, how can it be so soon after, you know, they had to say, okay, they say these, this, he's not much Rabbeinu, so I'm not much Rabbeinu either. You know, but it's still, it's a question. Everybody's being judgmental. Nobody, it, there's dishonesty, there's corruption, that this is what, you know. Now, with this backdrop, says Rebrevda, this is when we find a man going from Beis Lechem Yehuda. It's the same term used, by the way, for the parents of Moshe Rabbeinu, Vayelech Ish. It says that in Parsha Shmos. So great people here are involved. He's called an Ish Elimelech. He's not just small change. And um, it's an interesting fact, says Rebrevda, that Badafka during this time, particularly this time, when there were so many people with corruption and everything else, and there's a famine going on because of it, and the famine lasts at least 10 years, we find Rus decides to convert despite this whole period of time. Now, that's phenomenal. You know, who would want to be Jewish at a time like this when, according to some portion, the fast, I mean, the, the uh, Rav, the, the famine was primarily in Israel. According to others, it wasn't only in Israel, but it was in, there were places that were, you know, stricken with hunger and places that weren't. But the point was, who would want to be a Jew when the whole Jewish people were now hungry for bread? So really, Rus decided to convert because of a very good reason that was often used as a commentary on people asking the question, why, you know, why would anyone want to convert when the Jewish people have suffered so much? The answer is because it's not about the suffering. It's about their behavior despite the suffering. You know, sometimes, um, you know, Rus, for example, he, he suggests, he postulates, the people of Moab were not in famine. And yet they were so much more corrupt than the Jewish people of those days. These, these corruptions, small corruptions, the Moabim were the ones that refused bread and water to the Jews when they were coming out of Egypt. The Moabim were the ones that were immoral, tremendously immoral. And Rus tells herself, look, these people are suffering and they're more pure. And these other people are having a good life, but they're not as pure. To whom do I want to belong? That's quite a noble statement. And there were stories like that in World War II. There were Navartikers that were challenged by the Nazis and who wanted to kill them. And they said, look, where you're, where's your God right now? And they said, you know, I want to belong to you. <laughs> like, you know, you may be, you may be the winners. You may be the tormentors. You may be the, but do I want to be a tormentor? I don't believe in, in your belief system. You know, I don't believe in what you're doing. And if you're, if your system is all wrong and the people that do have the right beliefs are suffering, let me, I'd rather be with them than to be with you. And that's a very noble type of conversion. We're even told in halacha that if somebody converts under dire circumstances to the Jewish people, they accept them much more readily than they would today when you know a lot of people want to uh, marry into the Jewish people and change their faith. But if somebody is, if the Jews are the ones that are humiliated and suffering, and despite that, somebody chooses to join with them, that is a really heroic conversion. Now, Yisro, we find the same thing. The whole parish is called Yisro. Uh, you know, he was Moshe Rabbeinu's father-in-law. And that's the parsha always of the giving of the Torah. You know, the giving of the Torah is Parsha's Yisro. Why? Because in that parsha, we find that, um, you know, he's, he's, so to speak, accepting the whole Torah like the rest of the Jewish people. And a lot of Mephorshim tell us Yisro may, have, may or may have not been present at the giving of the Torah. He may have missed the whole thing. So why is the Parsha not called Torah? And instead it's called Yisro to show how fantastic it is. Here's a man 
who worshiped every type of idol or checked into every type of idol worship there was in the world. And yet he decided to become a Jew. That's phenomenal. He's willing to, you know, leave his, he, and he was a high position, high priest in his religion. And he forfeited all of that in order to become Jewish. Now we read this Megillah on Shavuos as Rebrevda because to this degree, we have to have affirmation in our belief system. We have to realize that there's nothing else to cling to that despite all odds, no matter how much the Jewish people suffer, and they definitely do suffer more than the rest of the world. Even today, look at the Jews in Montreal, our brethren in Montreal having such a hard time with the government. The, um, and, and the Jews in Israel, are having, uh, the, 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 the religious Jews are having a very hard time with the government over there. Um, we have to have the same reaffirmation that come what may, we are not going to leave our faith. And that's what we have to reaffirm on Shavuos night. So now a man comes, Rashi says he was Parnes Hador, Vayelech Ish, Parnes Hador. That means he was the philanthropist of the generation. Why did he leave the land of Israel? Why did he leave Eretz Yisrael? He, he went, he left Beis Lechem Yehuda. Beis Lechem was like the most um, prestigious people within the Jewish people were for the tribe of Yehuda. That's like, you know, that's where we believe that David Amelech comes from, he does. And in fact, Rus is his great grandmother. So we see that converts are no small change. And he goes to live in Lagur Biste Moab. He goes because of the famine, he goes with him, his wife and his sons to live in, um, in, in Moab. Now, how could he abandon everybody if he was the Parnes Hador? That's, this is really the fault taken on him. So first of all, if he's called Parnes Hador, that means till now, he was supporting the whole Jewish people. Like he was the, the address to go to, the biggest address to go to. So says Rebrevda, if we would meet him today on the street, he would tell us, I wanna learn and I wanna daven. I'm having 120 people a day knocking at my door. I can't, I have no peace. I have no peace. I have no peace to, 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 to what I have to do. Um, but, but that was his alibi. Really down deep, Chazal say, Saras Ayan, that there was a certain amount of stinginess in his character. What does that mean? First of all, he shouldn't have taken his sons. That's what uh, Rebrevda said. Taking his sons already shows if he was just one to live in peace, let him go by himself. But no, he says, you know, I have to live with holiness. I have to go with my wife. So I need to take his sons. You have to take your sons to Moab of all places, you know, places with such immorality and corruption. You have to go. Now, Rebrevda suggests that another that maybe the reason why he succumbed in the depth, we're talking about depths of his heart. He was still a man that deserved to have through him the messianic uh, dynasty. He still had plenty of great traits, but the Rambam says in Perkevos and Paragimel, all is judged according to how much, how much you have performed. In other words, the Rambam says, like for charity, it's better to give one dollar a hundred times a month, let's say, than to give a hundred times in one go. Because at that point, you're you're giving, but you're not demonstrating giving on a regular basis. You don't necessarily have it in your bones unless you give on a regular basis. You have to give on a continuously. You have if you want to break a trait, says Rebrevda. You have to be willing to do it on a consistent basis. Okay, once is a good, but more is better. So perhaps he said he gave large amounts to people. Fantastic, phenomenal, that's really selfless that you're willing to part with so much of your money. But perhaps he says, because he didn't give it on a consistent basis, it wasn't rooted in his flesh. It wasn't a part of him. That's a very important lesson for us to learn. Like if you wanna break a trait, you have to go the opposite. Let's say, if you're a kvetch, if you're a person that is always just, you know, could be moaning your lot, you have to get up and praise more often. If you're a person that tends to be a bit stingy, you have to give more frequently. Rasim Chazizel, the altar from Kelm, had a small child of his, one of his daughters, that he felt was stingy. He saw she wasn't sharing enough. So what he did was every day he sat her on his lap and would have her put money in the pushka. You know, and a child, I guess, wanted the coins or to play with the coins. They don't know the real value of money. But he had her, he had her herself take her money and put it in a pushka on a daily basis. And he said several times a day. And then finally he saw after several months that she had 
rooted this trait out of her and he felt like she she had you know developed a different type of trait so the first thing we're supposed to do is you know search ourselves soul searching this is something also for kabbalah satara what's what's stopping us from receiving the torah when we talk about this is the holiday shavuos is the holiday of receiving to be a receiver if you want to be let's say a, a baseball player to receive you have to have a very good baseball glove you have to be able to receive properly if you have your glove works you can catch from far distances and you could you know stretch it out wide and you can you know we have to take away anything that's in the way that's blocking that baseball glove from working we have to we have to if there's something that's stopping us stopping the chain of us doing of, of acceptance or and it's often our bad traits that's what gets in the way we have to know what traits do we have to work on and those traits, because this is our reaffirmation, fire and water, Hashem, we're going to go after you. So, you know, this is this is how we have to do with this and what to do. And on a consistent basis to try to go against this nature of ours. Or Victor Miller always said the person should be the biggest hypocrite. You have to like act one way, even if you feel the opposite. That's what we're supposed to be. Call if you rove Hamasa, according to the majority of your deeds. You keep doing something often, you will, you can and will uproot your trait. That's a belief we have. And this is what perhaps Ellen Melech has faulted for. Rabbi Sorrel Salanter says another little point here about knowing yourself. He says he once knew a man who was considered a very big learner, you know, a masmid, shaktan, if you want to call this. In other words, for masmid, this man would like very much be into learning. He learned all the time, but this man never knew he had the trait of desires for money. So at one point he, he couldn't learn so many hours. He had to support his family, he went into business and he eventually got so involved with the business that he barely had time to open a safer, which teaches us, he said, what happened? He said, he wasn't aware that he had this trait of loving money. And it never was a challenge for him until the one time he was tested in that, in that area. And then he realized, oh boy, I've got to, I've got to work on myself. And once he worked on himself, um, you know, he can uproot that. But if you don't know what bothers you, sometimes we have a trait lying dormant our whole lives, and then all of a sudden something, you know, monumental comes, and then we're tested in a way we were never tested before, and we see there's a certain trait lurking in the subconscious that we have to address. So he says, as a pasuk in Mishlei, Hachseik b'Musar al Teref. Nitzraki, uh, oh no, I can't read my writing. Kihem Chayecha, Kihi Chayecha, sorry. Um, hold on to Musar, hold on to, you know, self reproof and don't give up because it's your life. So the Vilna Gon says to strengthen yourself, Al Teref says, don't give up. He says, even for one hour, don't give up working on yourself. Kihi Chayecha, because as he said, this are his, his words, Kimasha Adam Chai. Means because this is your life to what as long as a person's alive, he's here to break this trait, which he didn't break until now. So that's what Elimelech did wrong, says for Brevda. He suggests that the fact was he wasn't a, a um, on a constant basis giving. He could have given large amounts, which is praiseworthy, wonderful, but you have to keep giving giving no matter what, no matter who, and no matter when. And when we keep doing these things, they become a part of our character. Another thing he did wrong, Lama Nenash Ali Melech. So the Medrash and Ris Rabbah tells us, Al Yudei Shehipil Liban Shal Yisrael Aleihem. He made people's hearts be despondent. People look up to their leaders. We mentioned last year, we talked about the leaders of the Jewish people and and how you know they they have to think about all all about each other. They have to have um, the CSO. They have to you know be there for their friend. They have to care about the other. But he's saying a different point that a leader in particular, people look up to him. And if he's going to leave, and if he's going to give up, then what's going to be with me? Who do I have to hope for? You know what I mean? So it's just like like you know this is why a lot of people they should. But if God forbid a doctor says to a person. You know, I'm despondent about your case. <laughs> a person, you know, could get doctors despondent. What am I going to think? But we're supposed to not believe in doctors. We're supposed to believe in Hashem, and only Hashem can heal us. But in any case, the uh, a leader of if they, it could be a matriarch of a family too. We have an obligation that we can't 
that we can't um, let people down. People are depending on us. People are depending on us. They're looking to us how we're going to react, how we're going to handle things, and they take the cues from us. And um, you know, and, and and that's how we're going to handle ourselves. Now, the. Um, Okay, yes, yeah. so we did mention also that, um, where's my safer here? We did mention also that the, um, that perhaps he could have cared more about his brother, that he didn't, he didn't think about them enough. The Rambam tells us in Hilchus Megillah, a person should give more money on Purim the poor, you know, you were supposed to halachically make a calculation. You have to give more for um, the poor on Purim than you do for your expenses for your meal and for your giving shalach manas. There's no bigger simcha when you're rejoicing than to make the people that are less fortunate than you, whether they're an almana or whether they're uh, a, a, an orphan or gayrim, they need you to, to re-encourage re them. So on a, you can't be sitting besimcha when there's other people that need you. Because it says a person makes happy to the misfortunate, you're like Hashem, um, because Hashem, it says about him in Yeshaya, Hashem wants to uplift the downtrodden. And in Hilchas Yantif, it says that a person's eating and drinking, he has to give a ger and, and he has to give, he has to give an orphan and an almana and anyone that's misfortunate, a person that locks his doors and eats and drinks with his family and he doesn't give poor people and, and, and people that are mare nefesh, that's what he says, the, 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 um, the Rambam, he says, not just poor, he says people that are despondent in some source, ein zu simchas mitzvah ela simchas preso. Wow, strong lashon. He says it's not a simcha of mitzvah, it's the simcha of your stomach. If you're celebrating yantiv and you're not thinking about the people that are downtrodden. And the Vilna Gon says further, he says, the whole world is fed because of the asurim that the aniyim are enduring. Everyone is we are all eating and drinking and enjoying ourselves, but at the same time, why are we not suffering? Because there is somebody in another part of the world that's suffering on our behalf. This is a Jewish concept. And this, we have to appreciate the poor because we are being fed because they're suffering on our behalf. That, you know, they, they take that on. So each person, like a poor person has to be happy with what he has. And that's his way to do his tikkun hanefesh. And the person that is endowed with more in whatever area it is, has to use that to appreciate the people that have benefited him. That, um, it's, and also we're told um, in Gemara Sanhedrin, the students of Rabbi Elezer asked him, What should a person do to be saved from the suffering during the time that precedes Mashiach? A person should engage in learning Torah and doing chesed. And Rashi says, what does chevlo shal Mashiach means? The person's going to be petrified from all the things that the, the non-Jewish world is doing against them. We're seeing with our governments, all the fear that's being evoked now with all the things going on in the world. And because of these saras with chevlo Mashiach, a lot of people from Chazal say, I don't want to be there. But it says a person is Osek, who's involved with doing chesed, he's saving himself, mamish, from the sufferings of Mashiach. Okay, so that's what Berbretta says on that. Now, we find the, the, the man was named uh, Elimelech. He, they were Ephrasim. Ephrasim means we're very important people um, from Beis Lechem, and they went to Moab, we said last year that they were, they just, they, they came to Moab, but Vayusham means they dwelled there. They ended up, they just wanted to be like tourists, but it ended up that they, they stayed there. They stayed too long. Now, um, now it's really says something, it's a, he says later 
that when Rus had to get up, I mean, Nomi had to get up afterwards when she returns to Eretz Yisrael, it says, Vatakam Rus, she got up, says she got up and left Moab to go back to Israel. Here, there's no such expression used, says Rebrevda, that she got, that they got up and left. It just says they left and they went to, they went to stay Moab. They didn't stand up. So he says something very interesting, not another beautiful piece of um, tidbit of uh, good lesson to learn. He says, it's always easier to leave holiness than it is to approach holiness. When a person is going to do something, you know, uh, that's not so holy, it always feels like it's much easier to do. But if a person has to do something that involves like an act of holiness, whether it's to help a uh, impoverished person or to join an organization and there's going to be all kinds of sorrows involved um then we find that's when it gets tough on a person because it's harder to go to kedusha to go to holiness than to leave kedusha now they stayed in Moab for 10 years and machlon and kilion despite you know first then we find in the next verse First, Elimelech is, passes away and says, Ish Naomi, he's called the husband of Naomi. We said last year, a little point here, that um, the only person at the funeral was the family. Like when he died, first he lost all his money and then he died. And um, this was, um, you know, this would, could, anyone could be in this position at any minute. We see this year, look how many people had these tiny levias, tiny funerals, great, whole huge people were, left this world this year, David Feinstein, and Avaminska Rebbe, all these great people, and yet uh, barely a minion at their Levaya, or a little bit more, because this is, look what this world is. This, even Levaya, you can't count that you're going to have people there for you. So she's left alone. Now, he and her two sons, and they, despite the fact their father dies, they lose money, they still decide to get married. Now, I don't think he lost all his money at this point. He lost some money, so they still, they, too, they married two princesses, Rus and Orpa, the daughters of Eglon Melech Moab, and they lived there 10 years. Like, where, why aren't they going back? Didn't they feel like they should go back to Eretz Yisrael? Like, their father maybe made a mistake that he left. Maybe they should assume his position. Nope, they didn't get the lesson. They didn't get the drift. So um, they didn't have children. All these things happened. They still weren't moved. They lived 10 years there, and they still didn't. Now, they could have said, you know, we're married because we have to uh, lift up, says Rebrevda, we have to lift up, there's nitsotos, there's these sparks of holiness that we have to lift up, that, you know, we want to, we want to, we want to help people out with that, we want to lift up the, 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 the tumma within these, this nation and lift it up, um, but they ignore that as well, and they still didn't pick up, pick Jewish girls, and they, they, they started losing their cattle, this was, I'm sorry, so Elimelech did not lose his money. He just died. Then they lost their money after they got married to these non-Jewish women. Now, remember we said last year, a basic idea, and that is that, remember that these particular women, there are two opinions, either they were mamish non-Jews, or they were converts. They had already converted, but in those days, they converted on a condition, the condition being that um, since it was a good, a, a prosperous time, basically for Jews, this was until the time of David Amelech. Um, you know, was, it, was, it, was, it was still not nothing. Oh, now someone has to mute themselves. I don't know. If but, um, the um, so what happened was that since they married these non-Jewish women that had converted on the condition that retroactively should they give up their faith, they will no longer be considered Jews at all. That's the way it worked in the time of David Amelech and Shlomo Amelech. And it's suggested perhaps even now that they were already Jewish women. Other people say, no, they were actually non-Jewish women, mamish. In any case, they still didn't, you know, raise their standards of living and they remained in Moab for 10 years. So in Pasuk Hay, they both pass away and this woman is left alone from her children and from her husband. She has nothing left now. Um, it says, um, according to a lot of them, a fortune, he, he says that Rus and Orpah had to pay for the burial. They had money from their father. They had to pay for the burial. Nomi could not even afford to bury her sons. 
it says Rashi says Vatisha Air. She and she Vatisha Air really means that she remained, but he says it's like the word Shirayim. She felt like leftovers on a plate. She said like like a total leftover. Lost her husband, lost her sons, lost her money. There was nothing left. What does she do in Pasuk Bav? She gets up. She and her daughters-in-law they follow her, and she returns because she heard that you know that now there's food, and she felt this was our sin. And I have to, you know, now go back to Eretz Yisrael to immediately because I should not leave Eretz Yisrael. She felt the only reason Nomi left to begin with, she was being a good wife. She followed her husband. She did what her husband wanted, which was right. So that's why she's not faulted for all of this. But once everyone else around her passes away, she felt no longer, I have to go. I have to, you know, I, I, there's no reason to leave Israel, especially a place of holiness and leave it to go live in Moab. So she gets up. And she felt it was her sin of being outside of Israel that brought her this. So as soon as she ended, she just left and immediately. Now, why? Now it says her daughter's-in-law accompanied her. It's very unusual for a daughter-in-law to stick it out with her mother-in-law like that, especially if her husband's not alive. They said this is the Mida, says Rebrevda. The one good Mida that Lot possessed was that he always accompanied his his his, his uncle Avraham. He you know, he, he accompanied him to Mitzrayim, he accompanied him on several locations, uh, uh, in several um, occasions. I think I needed a coffee this morning. <laughs> Any case, the, um, he, he should have been with, she should have been with her husband on several, yeah, she, he should have, uh, Lo was with Avram on many occasions, and they were, faith, that's the only faithful, proper thing to do, to not let an old woman walk by herself along the path. They're going to accompany her home. So then she, she decides to get up. We said last year, means they walked on the path, which means that they were shoeless. They, 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 their feet were touching the ground, not their shoes, that they even had, you know, holy feet, if you want to call it. The shoes were all full of holes. And um, they went to go back to Eretz Yehuda. And when it talks about Vatetse Minhamakom, she left the place. We learned that it's similar to Vayetse Yaakov. Yetze Yaakov left the place. That when a tzaddik leaves a place, that it, the holiness leaves the place. You don't find his, you know, he's not there anymore. And it, it makes an impression on all the people there. Every step she took, said Rebrev, she said she went to go back to Eretz Yehuda. Why does it have to say all these, why so many words here? We're told that, Every moment of her walking, Rus was thinking, I want to, this, these, these steps I take now should be a, uh, uh, should repent for the steps that I took the wrong way, leaving Israel. I should now repent for everything I did. It should be a tickling. It should be a correction for the steps that I mistook when I left, when I left. So every step she was thinking as she walked, that's why it keeps talking about the steps that she took. Now she told her, um, she, now she starts convincing her daughter-in-laws to leave because if there was a question right now that they were, in any case, either they were totally non-Jews or they were non-Jews that converted on a condition. So, and now she feels if they're going to go with her back to Israel, she, she has to make sure, this is where we learn all the halachas of Gerim from Megillus Rus, that they have to now be willing to accompany her. We're supposed to dissuade a convert three times. We learned this from, from Naomi. So she tells them each person go back to your back to your wife to mother go back to your mother she's you know trying to pull a push with the feelings go back your mother misses you you know who wouldn't go back for a mother um, Hashem she gives him a bracha with Hashem's name Hashem should do chesed with you like you did with the dead and with me so she um, we find it says in Parshas no it's a, in Barashas Rabbah. Parshas Vayishlach, we're told, Amar Rav Yochanan, Im kadamcha chavercha badashim kadmenu babasar. So it's very interesting. We've mentioned this before, but I finally found the source. This time, this finally, after so many years, I couldn't find the source again. I found it. It says, if your friend gives you beans, you're obligated to pay him back with meat. Now that sounds unfair. Like you have to go to such a degree to pay back somebody that did you a tova, that did you something, give you a good turn. When someone does a turn for you first, 
You owe him more than he gave you. That's how far Hakara Satov appreciation has to go. And we find Naomi showed her daughters-in-law the tremendous appreciation that she felt she owed them for like burying their, their husbands and for being loyal to her and accompanying her and helping her throughout, you know, throughout her life. Um, Sefer Hasidim tells us, there's no bad trait like not appreciating. The worst trait is to not to be unappreciative. You know, what we call that in our today's modern society is entitlement, a sense of entitlement to feel like it's coming to me. I deserve this. We're supposed to always feel who says we deserve anything. And that's how we appreciate Hashem more. You want to have Amuna. Rav Dessler says Amuna has a lot to do with appreciation. The degree you're an appreciative person, to that degree you're a mom and you're a believer. But why is it you have to give the person more? We've explained in the past that when a person gives you anything, they give you much more than the eye can really see. I quoted a story that it, along this line, I did it a few times, but you'll have to allow me because it's such an important concept. Ramosha Feinstein was once collecting in the Lower East Side for his yeshiva, and he went up three flights of stairs. He was in his seventies, mid seventies, went his three flights of stairs to collect from a certain family and accompanying him was Rabbi Rivlin, should rest in peace, who was Rabbi Shlom Miller's father-in-law and the great, um, he was a, a great man, did a lot of chesed for Klai Yisrael. Anyways, Rabbi Miller, Rabbi, Rabbi Miller, Rabbi Rivlin, um, after they after they finished collecting, she gave him a cup of tea and they gave a check and everything. He thanked her for the check. They went downstairs, three flights of stairs, and her Misha tells her, Rivlin, we have to go back up. I didn't thank her for the tea. So Rivlin says, you can't call her on the phone. <laughs> like, you know, like he was wondering. So Misha says, no, she gave me a cup of tea, insisted to go back up three flights of stairs to thank her. And you always think about that. Like Ramesha, who was a person, didn't waste a second, learned day and night or helping the community day and night. He felt it was really worth his while, another 10 minutes of his time to go up three flights of stairs to thank for the tea. Why? So here's the point here. Because when a person gives you something, they give you more than what you see. A person gives you a cup of tea. It's not just a cup of tea. They were thinking, I hope I give them the best mug. I want to give them the nicest tea that I own. You're, there's a lot of thoughts behind that cup of tea and all the steps the person took to provide you with the tea. So really, it's not just a cup of tea they gave you. So that's why you owe a person for their beans, you owe him meat. Because a person gives you anything, it's much more than the eye perceives. There's all kinds of thoughts and feelings, and even things behind the scenes that you didn't even know, you know, that goes into anything someone's done for you. That's what we found so many times in um, stories of Gedolim. Oh, stories about different, I think it was Rukhaim Shmulevitz, if I'm not mistaken, or Mr. Zalman Meltzer, those two I come to mind. They were elderly and not feeling well, and they pushed themselves to go to bar mitzvahs of people where it's a long walk because this person once did them a good turn. So we have, we owe so much to people that do something for us. So Nomi gives them a whole bracha here. You should find peace. Each, each woman in the house of her husband, and then she kisses them, and then they cry. Says Rebrevda. Uh, for, oh, first of all, we learned from last year, we said that a person does not have manucha unless they're married. That's what they say about women. They say a man doesn't have simcha unless he's married. He doesn't have joy without a wife. But a woman does not have peace of mind because there's someone that's going to take care of her. But in any case, um, they and also manucha means you feel like you're achieving your purpose in life. You have a husband, you have a family. That's what your purpose is in life. And that's what you're, a, a Jewish woman is supposed to aim for. Any woman is supposed to realize it's a big part of her life. Now, she, 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 she kisses them and then they cry. Rebrevda said, you'd think at this point, Nomi would say, okay, you have such emotion for Judaism. Come on in. You're ready to convert you. But this is just the first attempt. <laughs> Emotions does not say everything. A person can still give up at the, at the long run. So we have to dissuade a convert three times. The um, Interesting, when Nomi later gives a bracha to Ruth, when she's going to meet with Boaz, she tells her, I'm going to find you manucha. I'm going to find you peace of mind. It'll be good for you. She uses the same term that was used here. So he brings down from the Malbin who says, here the bracha was, when you had to give a bracha for a non-Jew, what's the main bracha? Like a person that doesn't espouse Torah values feels the main thing that they want the bracha for is this world. 
the manucha in this world, you know, have a family, be married, be part of a unit, part of a community. For the world to come, however, she was telling Rus later on, as she was a convert already, she told her, I want you to have a marriage that'll be good for Olam Haba, because she's going to have Mashiach from that marriage. You know, that's a different kind of bracha already. But here the bracha was that you should be paid back for the good you did to me and have tranquility in this world. Now they both kissed, and she kissed them, and they, they raised their voices and cried. They cried. They didn't want to leave her. It shows that, you know, a lot of people have this whole attitude to non-Jews, you know, how a Yid is supposed to have a proper, you know, respect for a non-Jew and, and, and even show love if they did something, if they did something good for us, we have to show appreciation and uh, proper emotions. You know, people think, oh, the non-Jews, another world, we're not that, we see here, she kissed them. Now, they tell her, no, we want to go with you. Okay. They, um. So then she starts to do it. So she says to them, Shavna Benosai, go back, my daughters. Why are you going to go with me? How ugly, but name of my eye. Do I still, if I even had, if I was pregnant right now, they'd be your husbands. I, I'm, I'm too old to get married. To, I'm too old to have children. And even if tonight I would get married and get pregnant, you're going to wait 20 years till, they have, till they're old enough to get married. Um, you know, it, it, please. It's Marley Maod Mikem. I'm, 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 you know, I'm, I'm very upset because of you, because Hashem has punished me. Now she says that um, we find that uh, that they, you know, that, that they. She said, even if I had children, you could really wait this long. So they cried, and then Orpa kisses her mother-in-law, but Rus clings to her. So after they heard the words of Naomi that they're not going to get married through her. So Orpah says, okay, I have nothing to gain from this woman anymore. That's it. I'm on my way home. Marami Prague says, kissing and clinging are two opposites. Because when you kiss somebody, like Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, that shows she had feelings for her. But that night, you know, Orpah committed all these horrible acts. She lived with a hundred men and a dog. Um, how could you go from being with Naomi and then to such, to go down to such depths? The answer is that a person, if they kiss, if they have feelings, but they want to put on blinders, they don't want to see all the things they benefited from this person, and they now want to, you know, go their own path, we see from that, that this person is no longer really, um, you know, the person is the opposite of holy, they want to close their eyes, they saw holiness, they felt holiness, they, uh, they um, experienced holiness, and yet they decide to leave it, that's worse than somebody that just sticks it out. But Ruth Dovkaba, Ruth would not let go. She would not let go of it. So at this point, again, they cried. Still, she doesn't give up. Nomi does not feel this is enough of a quality to assume that they're converts. Um, now, Ruth at this point is giving up everything. She has nothing except Naomi. She has no money. She has no husband. She had her family most likely has, you know, totally gotten rid of her. They have no contact with her whatsoever. And here she's barefoot and impoverished. And yet she is refusing to give up. Like that's our attitude, mostly with Torah, no matter what, you know, what goes through in our lives, we, are, we can't let go of the Torah. And now she, she gets a last, their last tactic. Shavi Yavimtech Elama, your sister-in-law went back to her nation. Go with the crowd, go with the flow. Your, your sister-in-law is not going, you go. So then she gives her this famous, beautiful speech in Pasuk Tezayin. She says, you're going to kill me, says some of them a portion. If I leave you, you know, Lule Sarasa, without your Torah, I'll be lost in my afflictions. I have nothing besides Torah. She wasn't in love with Naomi per se. It wasn't, you know, she was her spiritual guide. That's what she... This is how we're, this is our attitude to accepting the Torah. I can't live without it. I'll go where you go, no matter what it entails. I'll, I'll, where you're going to sleep, I'm going to sleep, whether it's with the mezuzah, with, you know, I, I, whatever you have to do, I have to do. I won't go to the places that a non-Jew will go. I'll go where you go. I'll avoid places that a Jewish person shouldn't frequent. I'll sleep the way you sleep. I won't do yichud. I, I'll have mezuzah. Your nation is my nation. Your God is my God. And how you're going to die, I'm going to die. And that's how I'm going to be buried. She's even saying, I'm doing this even if I won't have much of a life, a long of a life with you. 
because only death will separate between me and you. And that's supposed to be, says Rebrepta, our call, our clarion call to tell us this is how we're supposed to view the Torah. I can't live without it. It's I, you know, people, I, I can't believe sometimes Orthodox Jews have asked me the question, why would anyone want to be Jewish? So I don't understand the question. Why would anyone not want to be Jewish? Like, you know, like, you know, like I can understand if somebody wants for the money or for the husband or for whatever, that's one thing. And all Bate didn't try to weed that out. But the, our religion is the true religion. I once had a cleaning lady years ago. I'll never forget it. She used to tell me, Mrs. Weisswasser, I'll never become Jewish. And I said, why not? She said, your Passover is just beyond. <laughs> I guess she didn't like all the work for Pesach. But the point is, it's not because it's just nice customs and we enjoy the Seder and the nice songs and we have this and that. Of course, Pesach is, was her dissuading factor, you know. We do it because we believe it's the truth and we believe hanging on to the truth is what keeps us going. What would we do without the Torah? That's our attitude to Kabbalah Satara. The, um, the Smog says in his Sefer on the Hakdama of Mitzvah Saseh, says Rebrevda, that when the first day the world was created, the second day Hashem made Malachim. So obviously he didn't need us. He has Malachim already. On the sixth day, Hashem made the animals. And guess who came also on the sixth day? Man, same at the same time. Now, Malachim, uh, they have no Yetzirah. They get no reward for what they're doing. But they're doing it right. Uh, animals have no das, says the smog. They have no uh, brains to serve Hashem. They just go after their instinct. And here we are, the lucky people on the playing field. We have both. We're the fusion of the animal world. We can go with that side. Or we have the neshama part of ourselves, the malach part of ourselves that we could follow instead. And... Um, you know, and anytime, if, if, if we sin, we're worse than a behemoth because we have this malach part of ourselves. We have the angelic part of ourselves. And what we have to help us win the war is the Torah. The Torah is going to help us overcome all these desires. And without the Torah, we, there's, no reason, there's no reason to exist. So Rus is saying she can't leave. She, she's really, she's leaving her national interests. This is sometimes hard for some converts. I found this. Um, I even had one convert once years ago that said that all converts are her sisters. I didn't like that because I felt like Jews are her sisters. Now, not converts. It's not like they have a separate nation, you know, even though it says, like God does single out the converts, but he singles them out for honorable mention because what they had to overcome to become what they are today. But a lot of times, even with Yisra, we don't find that it's hard for a convert to give up their national interests. I had one Irish convert that had to have bagpipes playing at her chuppah. You know, she just, she felt she, that was like part of her, maybe it was to please her parents, I don't know. But in any case, you know, people have to, she's saying, I am a Jew. I'm, that's what we are. We're not Canadians. We're not Americans. We're not Israelis. We're Jews. Like that's, that's our main thing. And this is what Riss was willing to give up everything in order to have her neshama rule over her guf versus her body ruling over her neshama. Now, we find the uh, um, Rabbi Brevka brings down from the Rambam in Hilchas Chuba. He says, What kind of Hashem? What is the proper love a person is supposed to have for Hashem? This is something we can all work on, ladies, all of us especially when we go through hard times. Hashem is supposed to love, we're supposed to love Hashem, a tremendous love, tremendous extraneous love, as a strong, until, tremendous. And a person feels he has such a love for Hashem, he's thinking about it always, like he's sick from love. Just like a man who's madly in love with a woman, he can't stop thinking about her day and night. You know, this is supposed to be, says the Rambam and Hilchas Shuva. This is supposed to be our love for Hashem. And this Rus demonstrates this type of love. And this is the love we're supposed to demonstrate. See how, I don't know about you, but this shows me how far, how much I have to work on this Mida that we say every single day via Hafta in the Shema. And then, yes, you also have to love 
you have to love Hashem's people um, always because and Shlomo Melech said, it says in Shira Shirim, I'm sick from love. We're supposed to work on this. And it says, whether you're in your house or whether you're sleeping or eating or drinking, you're supposed to have love of Hashem demonstrated at all times. Masil Sisharm, it says, a whole purpose that we're here in this world is to do mitzvahs and to withstand trials and tribulations. And he shouldn't have any purpose at all. Anything that happens in your life should be opportunities to get close to Hashem. And to break anything that divides you between you and Hashem. So this is what's demonstrated by Megillus Rus. No matter what you do, I'm going to do because the main a thrust in my life, my main focus is to only come close to you, um, Hashem. And Nomi is going to be the vehicle by which I am going to do that. Now, <clears throat> and she sees that Nomi perceives in Pasuk Yerches that Rus is really pushing herself to walk. And then she stopped talking to her. In other words, after three times, and she sees Rus does not give up after three occasions. Usually a Basin will meet a convert three occasions to dissuade them. Um, and she and she stopped talking to her. She stopped convincing her. Now, um, I just want I always throw this in that you know, if you know any converts to be in your life, you are not supposed to dissuade them. It's not our job. That's the Basin's job. Like, especially if they're in the conversion process already, we're allowed to host to host them. And we should be nice to them, just like we'd be to any other Jew. You know, you're not supposed, the basin dissuades them and they don't go and say it's fire and brimstone. You know, we don't want you. They don't do it like that either. They just say it's like, it's tough. It is tough. We know it's tough. You know, it's not so easy to be a Jew, but um, <clears throat> the, um, you know, so she, she saw she was trying to once, says Rebrevda, that she was trying. She saw, she perceived how, how hard it was for her. And she saw she had this, you know, her, her, she wasn't just walking anymore with her. She also had a feeling every step I'm going to take is towards holiness. Like she saw Ruspa had a determination to get closer to Hashem. Then says Rebrevda, they walked as one. We don't, once, a, once somebody converts, they're equal to any Jew. And it even says in Rashi, Amar Ravavahu, Come and see how beloved the converts are in front of Hashem. Since Rus decided to convert, she was considered equal to Naomi. This showed that, you know, she, Naomi was taking every step to repent, to correct her steps when she left Israel. Rus was taking every step to correct herself and to come closer to Hashem. Now, says Rebrevda, very cute. He says, you have to imagine that, that Riss is probably this real tall woman. And he said, she probably wore Adidas sneakers. You know, she's wearing probably designer clothes. Now, she wasn't wearing sneakers because they both walked barefoot. But he meant to say she was dressed, not, let's say, you know, typical Jewish dress. And yet she's considered equal to any Jew because she just has to, you know, she agreed on the rudiments of the religion, but she didn't get into like every single detail perhaps yet but she decided to do every single little thing. Now, you think now she made this tremendous decision. She is going to, no matter what, she's going to um, serve Hashem. And what happens is she stops talking to her. So they get to base Lechem. And when they get to base Lechem, Hashem isn't through with Rus yet. Just because she expressed, I'm going to, no matter what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to think of you. I'm going to be, I'm be I'm, I want to be a Jewess. I want to do the truth. So what happens? They get to base Lechem and everyone's like, there's a whole bahala, there's a whole tumult in the, in the city. And Tomarna is written in the feminine. What happened? According to the Meforshim, this was the funeral of Boaz's wife. And so all the women happened to be out in base Lechem at the time, returning from the funeral. And they see, hey, there's these people we don't know from the neighborhood, you know, new people in the neighborhood. This remember a small town, you know, like any small town, they know when there's one extra person there, you know. So they said, 
who was that? And they, they didn't recognize. They see this 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 lady wearing Adidas sneakers, says her Brenda, and next to her is this elderly lady, and and she was before wearing gorgeous. It's a, the earrings matched the scarf, which matched the shoes, which matched the purse. Like she was all matching. This lady was the philanthropist of the generation, and they see this wrinkled lady that they don't recognize right away, and then they look at her eyes because these were women. That's why it's only women speaking. Men did not look, and they say, "Has that's Naomi." It's Naomi, like it, as if to hint, this is what she gets for leaving us when we really needed her. Like they didn't say Lush and Hara, but they said, is this Naomi? That's all they said. Now, Rebecca says, this is a huge test for Russ and Naomi. <laughs> uh, we'll see how Naomi responds, which then he said, here, you're gonna think, she says no, to Naomi, you're my mentor. Whatever you say and do, I'm gonna do. Judaism is gonna be my religion. I wanna do it to the nth degree. I'm gonna keep every detail of Judaism. I'm not gonna let go. And then she sees that everyone's giving them dirty looks and saying, that's Naomi, look what happened to her. Like, this is almost like, you know, like people put down or putting down your mentor. It's almost like, you know, chiseling away at the person that was your biggest, uh, you know, giving you that had the most faith in you, that you have the most faith in rather. And, and you know, they're, they're putting her down. And then what happens is Nomi does the opposite of what you'd expect. Nomi should stand up on a soapbox as her breath and say to them, is this how you talk to Almana? Is this how you talk to me? Yeah, you look, it, 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 this is what the word that was going out was. They were, they didn't mean to, but they did. That's what came out of their mouth. So it wasn't right to say that. But when they said, this is Naomi, she says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Because Mara means bitter, because I'm very bitter. I, I, I came out like full of everything with a husband and children and money and everything. And now Hashem returned me empty. Don't call me Naomi. Hashem, Hashem did this to me and rightfully so. She accepted her fate. Russ, after hearing this, like somebody confesses, it's my fault. I did wrong. You think she'd get, get rid of Nomi again? But she thought Nomi was righteous. And they still, risk continues on, despite the fact that people are speaking against her mentor. And they came in the beginning of the harvest period. That's when they left. Um, and, um, you know, nobody gave her the proper welcome. And, and this is what she did. And so she returns to, to, uh, to Moab. Now, the, um, I'm just going to end off with one thought, and then we're going to end off the parak. He brings down Rebrevda that there was apparently a person in the time of the Romans by the name of Nerone Kesar. I didn't get a chance to, I don't know how I'm going to research this. If any of you have any leads, please let me know. Nerone, I'm just postulating, could that be Nero who fiddled when Rome burned? I don't know. But the, the Caesar of Rome was called Nerone. And um, he heard the word that, you know, that somebody, somebody gave him the message to go destroy Yerushalayim. It was right before the Korban. He shot arrows in all directions and he saw all the arrows, no matter where he shot them, would converge on Yerushalayim. And he saw it as a sign that, oh, you see, God is unhappy with those Jewish people. It's, it's a perfect time to take over and, and to destroy Jerusalem. So what happened? Somehow on his way, when after he saw this, this it seemed like divine providence in, on his behalf that looks like God wants him to destroy Jerusalem. He decides to go up to a child. He approaches a child and he says, tell me what you're learning right now. I just am curious. What do you what what verse are you learning these days? It's interesting that a non-Jew asks this question of a Jew, because this is what Mordechai Atzadik asked the Jews in Shushan right before um, they were saved. So he quotes him a pasuk from Yecheskel, and he says, Eventually, I will take my revenge against the Edomites in the hands of my Jewish people. When he heard this, this Nehron, he decided he's going to immediately, he left his post, he ran away, and he went to Yerushalayim, hid out, and he converted to Judaism which is astounding, astounding at a time like this. Okay, because of one Pusik versus this whole thing, you know, there's a Pusik he heard from a child versus seeing that all the hands are on deck, everything's telling him, Providence is telling him that the Jews have to be have destroyed right now. You know, but it says eventually in the future, Edom is going to be destroyed by the Jews. He, he says that if the Jewish people are so pious, same thoughts as Rus, Jewish people are so pious and yet God has such, divine providence on them and wants to destroy them. And then eventually though, they will, they will overcome. I'm converting to their religion. And so he did. He was Maguire. And apparently the Tana of mayor came from him. 
So, uh, you know, it's not enough to be herotzil attire, but it says habal attire, messiah So a person doesn't just have a good intentions, but if a girl, person sticks it out despite difficulties, here she saw, she's not even popular. So I have no popularity, no name, name recognition from my mother-in-law, you know, and people in fact are a little against her for what she did to them, you know, and despite that, she sticks it out with her Judaism. This is teaching us the way to approach Torah on Shavuos night. Next week, we'll have part two. I thank you for listening and all of you, your beautiful people. It's a pleasure speaking with you. And again, I want to thank Rivka for her amazing Herculean efforts in helping us put this together. Thank you very much and have a wonderful week. Thank you for the yummy, wonderful, amazing, inspiring share.